We are in the second Sunday of, of Lent, and during this Lenten season, we are following the stories of Jesus through the lens of Luke's gospel. Last week, we began at the beginning with the story of Jesus' time in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, and we talked about identity and how Jesus' identity might inform our own identities as God's beloved children and might help to shape and direct us on this Lenten journey as a people of faith. Today we fast forward several chapters in Luke's gospel to a story from the thick of Jesus' ministry. He has been out teaching and preaching and healing by this point in Luke's gospel And we consider here how Jesus faces challenge and how the ways he faces challenge might inform our own living in this world, in these days. So friends, let us listen once again for God's word coming to us now from the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, beginning with the 31st verse. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else, because Herod wants to kill you. Jesus replied to them, saying, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, Jesus said, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. Look, your house, it is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Friends, these two are the words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, send your spirit now. Send your spirit to fill this space, to fill this place, to fill these hearts, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts might bridge us to fresh living, to new life, for the living of these days. We pray these things, God, because we know they are possible with you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There is a town on the coast of Tanzania, about 70 miles or so north of the capital, right on the sea, that's called Bagamoyo. It's Swahili, and when you translate it from Baga, you get something like throw it down. And from Moya, you get heart. 
It is a town whose name literally translates to throw down your heart. Now perhaps some here can surmise where that name comes from. In the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries, Bagamoya was a major port of the African slave trade. The colonial powers that occupied that part of Africa would venture inland and they would kidnap and forcibly, violently remove men, women, and children, and they would take them to the coast. Now, most of these men, women, and children, if not nearly all of them, they had never seen the ocean in their whole lives, but they had heard stories. They had been told by others that if you ever see this thing called the ocean, you'll know it when you see it. And if you ever see these these things called ships, these wooden boxes that float on the water, If you ever see those things, then you can know for sure that you will never see your home again. And so these these innocents, as they would be loaded onto the slave ships, local people from Bagamoya who, who, who were employed to work that port, they would yell to those boarding the ships, they would say to them, throw down your hearts here because you do not want to take them with you where you are going. Throw down your hearts, because you don't want to take them where you are going. Early on in those years in the slave trade, many people would die on the journey to wherever they were being taken, points in the Middle East or in the Americas. But they wouldn't necessarily die because of disease or illness aboard the boats. Many would die solely from heartache, from the utter despair that filled them as they looked back and saw their home disappear on the horizon, knowing they would never see it again. But the slave traders and their perverse and and twisted way, they they eventually discover that if they allow their human cargo to take something of their home with them, that more would survive the journey. And what they began allowing certain members of those being taken into slavery to bring with them from their homes or communities from whence they were kidnapped (laughs) was what we know as the banjo. Did you all know that? This instrument that is perhaps one of the most stereotypical white southern instruments is to its core an African instrument. One of the virtuosos of our time on the banjo is a guy named Bela Fleck. Anyone ever heard Bela Fleck? Anyone? Anyone? He's incredible. And there's this video of him. He actually went back around 2008, I think, and visited Tanzania and Gambia and some other countries on the eastern and western coasts of of Africa. And there's this this video where he would come into these these communities and these nations and he would pull his banjo out and just start playing. 
And some of the, the local people, they'd listen for a second and they'd run back to their homes and they would, they would bring their instruments, which didn't quite look the same as, as what we think of with a banjo, but they would start playing and pretty soon you realize they were all playing the same thing. <laughs> they were all playing the same music. You see, it's incredible. Despite such bitter roots, the banjo was at its point of origin an instrument of hope. The banjo that went on those ships with their cargo, it, its sound told their story. It reminded those people of who they are. It became, in a very real sense, the very heart of those being traded in a heartless and evil system. Some might even say that the banjo is what allowed many of those making that journey for so many centuries, it is what allowed them to persist. You know, that's not a word we hear too often in church, persistence. We hear a lot of other words often, grace, forgiveness, sin, evil, love, But we don't often hear the word persistence. Persistence is defined as a firm or obstinate, I love that word, firm or obstinate continuance in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. Persistence is a firm or obstinate continuance in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. Is that not exactly what is going on in our story today? You know, we could parse out all the different things in this story if we wanted to. What it means that Jesus keeps saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. What it means that that some Pharisees are apparently not like all the rest. We tend to paint the Pharisees with one broad stroke. But the basic idea, the idea at the core of this story is that Jesus is being warned that the path he is on, the path to Jerusalem, the path that we are on in this Lenten season, he is being warned that that path, that walk, that journey is a dangerous one. He's being warned that there is evil in this world, as if he didn't already know that after his days in the wilderness. He's he's being warned that there are people who, when you see them, you will know that you will never see your home again. He's being warned, in other words, that there are people with names like Herod who wield extraordinary, extraordinary and lethal power. And he's being reminded, too, here of of what people who carry that title he carries of prophet, how their stories tend to end. Nearly all the prophets in the Bible, their story all ends the same way. They, they die. Jesus is being warned that, that he is on a dangerous journey. And he's been given a chance here. These Pharisees, they come and they tell him, leave this place. He's, he's being given an out, and yet he persists. Tell Herod, he says, that fox, that that coy and sly and dangerous creature, tell him that I will press on. (laughs) Tell him that I'm not just going to press on today, I'm going to press on tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that as well. I'm going to press on with the work that I have been called to do to heal, to, 
to feed, to teach, to preach, to do all those words we're used to hearing in church. Going to press on loving and forgiving. Going to press on challenging those in power and coaxing life from death. Jesus is persisting here, but not, not persisting how some of us tend to think in Lent. We're not talking about just persisting in our, our, our chosen Lenten practice this year of giving up chocolate or, or whatever. And those are good things, don't get me wrong, but Jesus isn't just talking about that. He's not just talking about, about persisting in good deeds or bringing yourself to church. He's talking about something deeper. Jesus is talking here about persisting in the things of faith. Of walking that path, that dangerous path to Jerusalem. He's talking about persisting on this this journey which ends, he already knows, it ends only one way. It ends at a shadow that is in the shape of a cross. And why does he persist? Why? I mean, does Jesus persist in this story because he knows something we don't? Is there some guarantee here that we have missed that that he won't be hurt or that that some piece of the fine print in his contract with God the Father will make sure that at the last minute he's rescued somehow? Is Is that why he persists? No. No, Jesus says. And then he takes us by surprise. He says, I persist because the God who is in me, the God who is is with me, that God is like a hen. Go figure. That God is like a hen who gathers her chicks under her wing. Someone in between services handed me a copy of Barbara Brown Taylor's new book. I think... You all have heard me talk about Barbara Brown Taylor quite a bit. She's an Episcopal priest. She is an incredible preacher, a writer. But she's also a a chicken farmer. Do you all know that? She and her husband, they live on this farm in in North Georgia, and they're the farmers. They have all sorts of animals, but they have a bunch of chickens. And Barbara Brown Taylor wrote this piece some time ago that I remembered where she talks about of all the different varieties of chicken, and some here maybe will know some of these varieties better, her favorite are the silkies. She first discovered the silkies when she needed a foster mother for a guinea chick that had been orphaned, and she had heard that that silkies make good mothers. And sure enough, that silky made an excellent mother for that orphaned guinea chick. And so now she continues to use the silkies in that way. She wrote in this piece, she says, when my mill floor chickens lay eggs that they won't sit on, I go and put them under a silky that will sit on them until they hatch. Or when I hatch old English bantams in the incubator, I wait until the sun goes down and then I take those babies down to the silky pen and I slide them under a sleepy hen. And the next morning, sure enough, there they all are trailing around behind her while she shows them the ropes of staying alive 
Look, food, she squawks when I throw corn, and they all come running. Run for cover, she yells when the shadow of a hawk passes overhead, and they all go diving under her wing. She writes at the end of this piece, she says, you know, this is all rather counterintuitive. If this hen is into the preservation of her, her species, then she ought to be looking out for her own babies and letting all those other ones go hang. But that's not what she does. This silky hen, she, she accepts all comers, no questions asked. She's never seen a chick, she writes, that that silky did not like. I'm not sure if it's the sound of a banjo or the cluck of chickens. But something clicks in Jesus in this passage. Something causes Jesus to reach down and pick his heart up. Something causes Jesus to trust. To go on persisting in this life that God has called him to. We may not talk about persistence much, but I think it's a word the church needs. Perhaps now more more than ever. I spent most of Thursday going back and forth on what image to use for the cover of our bulletin today. At about 8 p.m. on Thursday night, I sent a message to Ada back there who puts our bulletin together every week, and I told her I wanted, I wanted to use this Norman Rockwell painting. It's, it's a painting that depicts the first day of school for a six-year-old Ruby Bridges. She's being walked by U.S. Marshals to the William France Elementary School in New Orleans. It's 1960, and she is the first African-American student to ever learn at that school. It's an amazing image. What do you all see in her face? I see courage, I see determination, I see persistence. I see what might look awfully close to the face of Jesus in this passage when he turns toward Jerusalem. Ruby's cause, after all, was one that I think Jesus would know well. A little girl persisting in the pursuit of justice, of healing, of reconciliation. Even in the face of those who would harm her. I listened last week to an interview she gave some years ago on NPR. And and she talks about this image and 
and what it means and how it's shaped and formed her own life. But she pointed out in this interview, this is the first day. The whole year and even into the next. Groups of people formed on the sidewalk outside that school to intimidate, to threaten, to yell at this little girl. It's just the first day. You know, by the time I went to bed on Thursday evening, I was reading reports from the other side of the world where a self-avowed white supremacist, someone who, who wrote that his heinous actions were to ensure the future of, quote, his people, had killed 49 people. 49 innocent people. Norman Rockwell titled this this portrait of Ruby Bridges, The Problem We All Live With. When I went to bed on Thursday night, I realized that the problem we all lived with yesterday is still the problem today. I realized that Ruby's walk, it's not over. And so neither is ours. Friends, Jesus is is heading towards Jerusalem this Lent. He is persistent in that journey. So may we be the people this season, this day, who lean down and pick up our hearts and follow him. May it be so, this day, and tomorrow, and the day after that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.